On April 19, 2016, the Friedman Foundation for Educational Choice released a new report entitled Pursuing Innovation, How Can Educational Choice Transform K-12 Education in the U.S.? Friedman Foundation President and CEO Robert C. Enlow joined nationally recognized education researchers Dr. Patrick J. Wolf and Dr. Anna J. Egalite for a media conference call to discuss the report. The following is a recording of that call. Please visit our website at edchoice.org or call 317-681-0745 for more information. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Robert Enlow. I'm the president and CEO of the Friedman Foundation. Uh, and what we wanted to do today, I'm going to make some quick comments. Uh, we want to announce, obviously, the release of our study called Pursuing Innovation, How Can Educational Choice Transform K-12 Education in the United States? Uh, we're excited, obviously, to be joined by Dr. Patrick Wolf and Dr. Anna Galate, who, without a doubt, Kimberly and others on the phone are are among the nation's leading researchers on publicly funded private school choice. Dr. Wolf is a distinguished professor of education policy at the University of Arkansas, the author of four books and more than 110 articles, chapters, and reports on educational choice. Dr. Galate is an assistant professor in the College of Education at North Carolina State. Briefly before they talked, the purpose of this report was to examine the data on the different types of competition that exist in K-12 education currently and what forms of competition might be more likely to generate uh, educational improvement. The theory is, of course, if you have a greater competitive environment, you'll have greater improvement. The authors are going to be discussing their findings, but I want to quickly point out two that I was struck with prior to their conversation. One, I was really struck by the fact that our traditional idea of public education by zip code, how almost of a thing of the past that is, right? So there is being rapidly replaced by a variety of choice programs that empower families to choose different options, including charter schools, private schools, magnet schools, cross-district boundaries. It's very amazing to me, which I was struck with, which is the, the fact that our old system of zip code assigned schools, where everyone generally went to where they were assigned, is really becoming a thing of the past. And second, it was clear to me that school choice has led to increased innovation and tangible benefits for kids but yet we've only really seen pockets of innovation. And so there's some real questions about how we go forward with school choice and that there seems to be a connection between the broader the school choice program, the stronger the competitive impact. So with that said, I will turn it over uh, with pleasure to our authors, Dr. Patrick Wolf and Dr. Anna Galatine. All right, well, thank you, Robert. Uh, this was a really fun study to do. Uh, I thought one of the most interesting things about it is we started, Anna and I sort of started with the, you know, with the perspective of, well, you know, competition is considered to be a positive force for innovation and organizational effectiveness in every aspect of our society and everyday life except education. When you talk about it in terms of education, you're usually branded, you know, radical, crazy, you hate children, you hate, you hate teachers, that kind of stuff. So it, there, there seems to be this, this disconnect. It's sort of like we, we accept choice and competition and value it in every aspect of society, except it's highly controversial when it comes to education. So we, we wanted to really 
uh, unpack that whole thing and and take seriously the idea that choice and competition leads to innovation and greater organizational effectiveness, and then sort of examine all of the the embedded hypotheses in that and see if there's evidence to support all of them. Because Anna and I come to this, we don't come to this sort of from an, from an ideological background or an ideological commitment to choice. We come from it to it from a, a uh, sort of social scientific commitment to investigating these kinds of connections. Uh, and in fact, my background, I mean, for both of us, we have a strong background in in organizations and education organizations, um, as well as knowledge of, of social science theory. But personally, my initial research was in the area of public administration, and my, my initial field of specialization was organizational theory and public administration. So in our report, we sort of take seriously the idea that schools are institutions, and um, they're going to resist this. Public schools that have been law, law for a long time been insulated from competition because of um, zip code student assignment, that they're going to resist this kind of pressure and probably be pretty good at it for a while. And that really, that really led to our, our two major findings, as Robert premised, and that is that, that choice really has to take a, a particular form for it to pressure public schools to innovate and improve, and that's the form of, of resources actually leaving the system if public schools don't deliver. And, and basically that's uh, independent charter schools and private school choice programs. And secondly, that, uh, that public schools can resist competition when it's, when it's a very small dose, which it's kind of like you know, swatting a flea. Uh, but but when, it's, when it's significant and it's intense, they have to adapt or die, and we're, we're, we've seen that happen in, in research that Anna, in particular, has, has both conducted and, and carefully evaluated, um, that, that when, the, when competition is intense from alternate providers, public schools really do things differently and do things better. So with that, I will hand it over to Anna. So thanks, Patrick. Um, and I really, um, so I think that the contribution that this report makes is that it's sort of filling in um, a third part, third leg of the stool. So I think that there's a lot of folk wisdom among people who have worked in schools of choice or in a competitive um, marketplace like that. So for instance, I was a teacher in a private school, a Catholic school in Florida, and we were very keen to keep our students and very much catering to the families and always adapting um, because we knew that they had the option of leaving our school and going elsewhere if that was the case. Um, and I think a lot of advocates have that sense um, that the competition must be something that would spur innovation. Um, and also the theory is there and it's quite strong and it was fleshed out by Milton Friedman. But um, a lot of the research is sort of um, individual studies and individual states or an individual program. And what we felt needed to be done was to, to systematically review it and bring it all together in one table. And so I think that's, that's one of the primary kind of contributions that this makes is that it really lets us see where the weight of the evidence is leaning. And we find over 40 studies on competition effects in education. And that's from charters or vouchers or tax credit scholarship programs. And it's very obvious. It's hard to ignore um, the, the, the real takeaway from that study once you look at the summary column to see that um, it, it's hard to, to dispute that competition is leading to improvements in public school performance. 
And then I think the other sort of thing I was excited to do with this report was that we got to update an analysis that Caroline Hoxby had done. And she, um, at the time, you know, was only able to do it up to sort of 1998 data. And that was looking at the productivity in education. Um, and that's just really saying, well, we know that the NAEP, uh, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, is this nationally representative standardized test that gives us a sense of if, if the nation is improving. Um, for students at different ages, how are 13-year-olds doing? How are 17-year-olds? And it's low stakes for the kids. There's no reason for schools or students or anyone to try gain this. Um, and, and it's aligned to international assessments like the PISA or the TIMS. And well, what Hoxby did and what we've updated is to say for every point you get um, on the NAEP, let's, let's equate that to, you know, $1,000 that we spend on education. And so we can use that to generate, you know, an estimate of productivity. So it's eight points per thousand dollars of per pupil spending. Um, and you know, when when Hoxie started this analysis in the seventies, you know, looking at those data, I mean, she obviously didn't do it in the seventies, but reflecting back to, to information from nineteen seventy, the productivity that she estimated was about thirty-three percent. Right. So we were spending about six thousand dollars per pupil, and the scores that kids were getting were around two hundred eight in reading, two hundred nineteen in, in math. And so we've updated that and said, all right, so is it still 33%? And that's not great, but are we on a, a better trajectory? But it turns out that it's dropped, and it's actually dropped substantially. So what we say is that productivity in 1970 was between 80% and 110% higher than productivity in 2011-12, and that's the most recent data that we have. Um, and I think that's sort of really eye-opening. That's really shocking that, like, all right, so there actually is a significant problem here. You know, we can graph, we can just look at the scores and, and sort of be disappointed that they're a little stagnant, particularly for 17-year-olds. But once you actually put that into context by how much we've increased spending in education, um, the story becomes a little bit more dismal. And so it sort of it sparks the need for, yeah, I think that we need to be thinking more seriously about how do we incentivize schools to innovate and, and think more broadly about how they're spending those dollars in order to get the outcomes.